You know, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You heard about the lady that got home and told her husband the car wasn't running. He wondered why. She said, because it has water in the carburetor. And he said, how do you know that? She said, because the car's in the lake. <laughs> does money matter? It certainly does. We're going to look at money matters today. What about money? How do we, uh, you know, handle our money? It all belongs to God, the Bible says, but he entrusts us with money and instructs us on how to use it. In fact, the Bible says everything about money. If you have a question, the Bible has an answer. I mean, the Bible teaches that uh, we should give cheerfully. And I've told you that Greek word, you know it by now, is the word hilarion. We get our English word hilarious. It doesn't just mean to laugh. It means to gladly give, to graciously give, to merrily give, and of course, to cheerfully give. Then the Bible tells us to invest wisely. So it's a good idea to plan for the future, to invest in retirements and things. It says to spend carefully. That's something we need to preach today. I don't know how many people I know that have money troubles and all kinds of junk. They can't resist getting on the internet and buying more junk. I joked with someone, one of my relatives who had a lot of junk one time. I said, the only thing you need is a dumpster to put everything in. And we have just junk, junk, junk because we can't resist a sale. Whenever, you know, you hear someone say, I, I saved money this week. You, you know they don't mean they went to a bank and put a deposit in. It means they bought something on sale. We're supposed to spend carefully. We're supposed to enjoy money. We're not supposed to love it, as we'll learn today. We're supposed to pay our bills. We're supposed to pay our taxes. We don't like either one of those, but that's uh, required by God. We're not supposed to hoard money. When we save, we save with a purpose. We don't hoard just to hoard money. In other words, your saving should be with a purpose. We're not supposed to steal, obviously, Brother Jim. We're not supposed to be greedy. It's an inside joke. Everybody teases Jim about stealing. He really doesn't steal. But we're not supposed to steal. We're not supposed to be greedy. And we're not supposed to make wealth, making money, our life's ambition. If that's your goal in life, you're going to learn today that your goals are wrong. Your goals are wrong. We are told in Matthew 6.20 to lay up treasure in heaven which means to give. We learned a couple of weeks ago from Philippians that we are uh, supposed to give and that when we give, the Bible said the fruit of our giving is on our account. So we're blessed for our giving. Even though it all belongs to God, he entrusts us with it, says give some back to me. And also all our needs are supplied, the Bible says, because we give. Philippians 4.19 in context. Now, Moody said about money, getting riches brings work. Keeping riches brings trouble. Abusing riches brings guilt. And losing riches brings sorrow. So we talk about money. We all think we need more and we all want more. But boy, money can be a real problem. If you have verses 17 and 18, stand. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Now in verse 9... You see in verse 9, we're going to read, not going to read verse 9, but it says, They that will be rich. So we have the riches of desire, money wanted. But in these next few verses, we have the riches of the world, 
We have the riches of uncertainty, money hoarded, the riches of enjoyment, money spent, and the riches of good works, money invested. Let's read. It says, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. There's the key. Willing to communicate. There's the, the second half of that key. Laying in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. All about heavenly investment. Let's pray God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. I just pray, God, that I'll say what you would have me to say. Not necessarily what I planned on saying or what I want to say, but Lord, help bring to my mind the thoughts that need to be shared with this congregation. That every word will matter as we look into your holy, inspired, and errant, infallible book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to look at verse 3 today, beginning in verse 3. Paul wrote this personal letter to Timothy. This is not a, a letter to the church. It's a letter personally to Timothy. And this is just prior to Paul's martyrdom. He knows he's going to die. He writes about that in 2 Timothy. Timothy was half Jew, half Gentile. His mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. Timothy had a godly upbringing. He talks about his mother and his grandmother in 2 Timothy. He trusted Jesus during Paul's first missionary journey and then joined Paul on Paul's next missionary journey. Paul traveled and started churches and Timothy was one of his companions, the youngest companion that traveled with him. Paul encouraged him to be circumcised because he was reaching the Jews and they really emphasized circumcision as a requirement in the law. Now they're not under the law anymore, but during that day to reach Jews, he encouraged him to be circumcised. Now, when Titus came along, some said, is he going to be circumcised? And Paul said, no, his ministry was not to the Jews. So Titus didn't need to be circumcised. But he encouraged that. And Paul also encouraged him because he was timid, bashful. And Paul wanted him to stand up and fight the good fight. And he wanted him to stand up against false doctrine. The greatest battle we have is false teaching. Now we look at just down, drop down, and we look at verses 11 and 12, and we're going to come back to verse 3. But we see several points in this text. First of all, the root of all evil we'll talk about in a moment. But we talked already about the riches of this world. But look at verses 11 to 16. We have the good fight of faith. He says, but thou, O man of God. Did you know Timothy's the only one in Scripture called the man of God, other than the Lord? Other than the Lord, he's the other one called the man of God. He says, flee these things, flee the, the false teachings described in the previous verses, which we will study momentarily. Flee these things. Did you know sometimes it's okay to run? Joseph ran, didn't he? The Bible says flee fornication. The Bible tells us to flee a lot of things. We're not going to talk about that today, but it's okay sometimes to run. I remember when I was a young kid, we had a bully. I was in middle school. I was a late bloomer, so I was you know, real skinny and real small. You would never believe that, but I was. And there was a kid that bullied me all the time. I avoided him at every turn. And if no one was looking, I would run a little bit so I didn't have to face him. And sometimes it's okay to run. But notice it says here, flee these things. And then he says, follow, verse 11, after righteousness. So we have to flee some things. We have to follow some things. And we have to follow the Lord's leadership. We have to follow righteousness. 
Paul said, follow me. He felt he was a good example. He was. He said, follow after me. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he says to fight. Fight, verse 12. That's the word agon. We got a word agony from it. The Christian life is a battle. Not necessarily do we battle against flesh and blood. We may, but basically we battle against principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness. So, so sometimes we flee, sometimes we follow, sometimes we fight. And he's going to get Timothy to realize that sound doctrine is worth fighting for. Now back to verse 3. And we'll begin our exposition in verse 3. It says here, if any man teach otherwise, otherwise, what, other than what, Pastor? What he's described in the first five chapters. And we'll, we'll share some of that in a moment. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, doctrine means teachings, the teachings are doctrine which is according to godliness. Any teaching that's not godly is bad. How many times we hear of the cults teaching something that's immoral? It's amazing how many cult leaders have a bunch of women in a harem. I mean, they have little girls pregnant with their babies and all this stuff going on. And there are actually people that think they're righteous and they follow their leadership and their teaching. Any doctrine that's not godly is sinful and bad doctrine. So he says, anything other than the words of Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to God. Is, and then he describes the one who teaches bad doctrine. He says, first of all, he is proud. He is proud. Now, he'll tell us not to consent to their doctrine, not, not to accept their doctrine, because it's not godly. But he describes now the person who is teaching the bad doctrine. He is proud. In the ancient languages of our world, like Greek and Hebrew and others, all words had an etymology, and that's a big word. But that's a word that means they had a history. Words came about from ideas. All right, here's an idea. How do we describe it with the word? And that's how languages came about. Now, we understand the word pride. But the word pride originated from a word meaning to smoke or, or, or to swell. You ever heard someone say he's, he's just blowing smoke? Or he's all puffed up? He thinks he's greater than he is. That, that's why we have those, those comments about the word pride. And the Bible says this person who teaches things other than godliness is proud. They have a problem with pride. And he goes on to say several things. He, he knows nothing. Isn't that interesting? He knows nothing. This person may be able to solve the toughest geometry or algebra problems or even calculus or, or do real well in the science lab, but they know nothing. What does that mean, they know nothing? I thought they're intelligent people. No, they don't know anything because the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. People who miss the main truth that God is in existence, he is real, he created this place, there was a worldwide flood, there is sin, there is good and there is evil. If they miss that, they don't know anything. I don't care how they do on a test. They're going to stand before Almighty God and realize how dumb they were. In fact, Scripture calls them fools, and that word in one place means moron, and in another place it means someone who lacks basic intelligence. Think of that. How dumb do you have to be 
To think this auditorium all fell into place because of an explosion. You say, that's so dumb. I know it's dumb. But when you believe that about the world and the human body and all the great creation of God, you are dumb. You don't know anything. And he says, this person doesn't know anything. They just blow smoke. They're proud. They dote. They're doting around, meaning they're harping. They make a lot of noise about questions and strifes of words. They argue over little things that aren't important. And it says, whereof cometh envy. Did you know envy is one of the biggest problems people have in their lives? Did you know every one of you struggles with envy? That's right. You may not see it in your life, but you struggle with it. I know I'm one of you. (laughs) And I struggle with envy. I see someone and I think, wow, why do they deserve all that? How come I don't have that? You know, this person got this pat on the back and I did all the work and I'm not talking about anything in my life now. I'm just saying, during my life, I've had these experiences, these thoughts, and so have you. A lot of times you're critical of people. You say things about people because you're envious of them. It's a big problem in the church. So we don't just talk about the people out there who are proud and without God, but we have to talk sometimes to each and every one of us about what we battle with. And envy's a problem. So he says these people have a problem with envy, and strife, which is anger and action, and rallings, which means loud outbursts. Did you know rallying can cause someone to be put out of the church? If you're a loudmouth troublemaker in the church, 1 Corinthians says that's one of the six or seven things you can be put out of the church for. You ever have someone in church like that and you think, what in the world is wrong with that person? They're always saying outlandish, evil things. They get loud and they they take out their frustration on people. And let me tell you something. Study to be quiet. And sometimes it's just good to keep your mouth shut, right? And if you got a problem with your tongue, join the crowd that at least bite it once in a while. Envy and strife and rallings and evil surmisings, that's suspicious. The word evil is an interesting word. This is one you can mark down. You know the word. You know the Greek word's word, porneo. We get our word pornography from that word. Our word fornication comes from that word. And so this is moral evil. Moral evil. Now there's another word. Look down to verse uh, 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That is not the same Greek word. Specifically, the earlier word we just looked at, verse 4, is moral evil. The word down in verse 10 is general evil. It's a general word covering every kind of evil. Specifically, though, we're talking now about moral evil. And this is what that person has a problem with. Pride, moral evil, envy, all these things are a problem for them. Verse 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. They're perverse. They argue about perverseness. They're corrupt. You know that word. And destitute of truth. They're lacking the common truth. They're lacking the simple things of Scripture. If you can't believe Genesis 1-1, you're missing the whole Bible. In the beginning, God. And God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was out without form and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. If you can't believe the Genesis 1, if you can't believe that, you can't believe anything else in Scripture. If you can't trust the beginning, you can't trust the end, you can't trust anything in between. As believers, we accept the Word of God and the clear teaching of the Word of God. So these people say they're, they're corrupt, they're, they're perverse, 
and they're destitute of the truth. And, and notice here this next little phrase, supposing that gain is godliness. Supposing that financial gain is what this is referring to, means that you're godly. Or if you're godly, you'll have financial gain. Where do we hear this? Unfortunately, we hear it sometimes from televangelists, pre preachers on TV. There's a guy that annoys me so much. I'm not going to call his name. I'm not going to attack his, his denomination, denominational persuasion. But I'm saying his teaching is straight from hell. He says, give money to his ministry. You plant a seed in his ministry and you'll be blessed financially. Hogwash. Do you know I cannot promise you that if you give cheerfully to this church or to our missionaries or to the needy that you're going to be wealthy. I cannot promise that. Scripture doesn't teach that. If it taught that, then what do we think of the widow who was down to her last mite? What do we think of the widow who had one handful of meal left? It's not wrong to be poor. Did you know that? We look sometimes on poor people and we look condescending on them. Like, I'm blessed more than them because I have a nicer car than them or a nicer home. Hogwash. That's heresy. And it's taught all the time by televangelists who want money for their ministry and that pays for all those rings they have, sometimes even on the screen. And the house, they have, I remember a guy named Robert, I won't say his last name, he got on TV, my house burnt down. <laughs> Please send money. And they sent money. Come to find out the insurance paid for his house and it was one of seven houses he owned outright. You know, and people, poor people, sometimes give to those kinds of people. Don't be misled. Teaching that godliness uh, leads to gain or vice versa. Gain means you're godly is a teaching that is false. It's false. And a whole bunch of you could say, I understand that, Pastor. <laughs> I struggle financially and I, I live right, but it's not easy. Why are some people blessed financially more than others? I don't know, but it doesn't mean they're more godly. Doesn't mean they're more godly. What I'm supposed to teach you is what Scripture says about giving. And today we're talking a little bit about giving. So here this person is teaching so godliness is gain and vice versa. And notice what he tells us. After, re, after describing this man, he tells us how to deal with this person. Titus says to reject him. Here Timothy says, withdraw thyself from this person. Get away from him. Don't listen to him or her. Get away from him. Avoid them at all costs. Certainly don't listen to them. Don't let them in your home. Tell them you don't believe what they're teaching and get away. That's how you deal with it. Don't let your family be exposed to that kind of stuff. And, and so here he says, avoid this person. And then we have verses 6 to 8, such a practical portion of Scripture. I actually referenced verse 6 a few weeks ago. Look what it says in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. The word gain there does not mean financial. But let me tell you something. If you are godly and you are content with what God has given you, you are in great gain. You're gaining the blessings of God in your life. Did you know contentment brings blessing upon your life? Godliness brings blessing upon your life. And I don't mean you're going to be rich. Get that thought out of your mind. I mean you're going to be blessed in other ways. 
Sometimes, like Paul, we've all been abased poor. And I have been and you have been, but boy, have I had peace. Knowing God's in control of this. This is God's bill to pay. He promised he'd take care of me. I don't worry about that. And I can have peace if I am content with my 1972 Delta 88 with a squeaky shock. I used to drive that car to church, and you could hear it a mile away. I'd be driving up Hogan Road, and they'd say, we knew Brother Dan was coming. <laughs> As that car would pull up into the parking lot with that bad shock. Someone said, why don't you get a grease job? I did get a grease job. I wanted to fill their mouth with grease. It was just a junker. But you know what? It lasted as long until I got another car, it lasted. Transmission went out, got that fixed for free, won't tell you that story. But I've been humbled, you've been humbled, we've been abased, we understand that. That doesn't mean you're not blessed. Blessings of God, the gain of God is oftentimes seen in peace. Peace and joy. Isn't that great to have joy in your Christian walk? Did you know you can have joy even though you don't know how your car payment's going to be paid? Did you know you, know you can have peace without knowing how your electric bill's going to be paid? And you can cry out to God and he'll take care of that. Years ago, I was traveling. I was up in Knoxville speaking at a church. And I preached at this church. And I may have told you this story. I had a tire. I had two or three tires uh, with steel showing you know the steel was sticking out and the moon was out that night and boy those tires were shining I didn't know it but I got in there and I preached and I thought well I hope I get home on those tires it was at Delta 88 by the way and when I came out of church afterwards it had brand new tires on it I didn't tell the church I didn't ask for money someone saw those tires and God, you know how God is, a person who owned a tire store saw those tires shining in the moonlight. And he called one of the guys from his shop who didn't go to church. He said, you want to make some overtime? Put four new tires on this guy's car and get it done by noon. So I come out and there, there is that, it was not noon, get it done by, it was an evening service, so I guess seven or whatever, I don't know what he told him, I wasn't there, but I come out, and I, I, I'm getting into my car, and the pastor walks up and says, I, 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 I noticed your tires, and I looked down, and I thought, those aren't my tires, is, am I in the wrong car, you know? <laughs> they took care of that. Can't remember the name of the church or pastor. Never heard from them again. I sent them a thank you note. But that was God. I didn't need to beg anyone. I've been to missions conferences and missionaries stand up. Poor old me. Oh, I can't pay this and I can't pay that. I need this and I need that. And I'm always like, I don't even want to admit I'm a missionary after that. God provides where God guides, you know. And he's been good to me and he's always met my needs. Anyway, back to our text. Here we can have gain, not financial necessarily. It can include that. But be content. Be content with what you have. And look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. I was talking to Frank and I said, you know, Brother Frank, things sure have changed since Bible times. 
There's a rabbi named Akaba. His name's actually in your New Testament. And he taught that when your parents got old, if you didn't want them to live with you and you didn't want to take care of them, you just give them one big offering and that'll take care of them. And Jesus rebuked them for that. So that doesn't take care of your parents, one big offering. You take care of your parents. But what is this society, good old America taught? Huh? Put them in the nursing home. And unless they're going to take their assets, then we might find a way to take care of them because we want the inheritance. And it's today it's all about parents leave enough behind for their kids so kids can have a really good start and kids get hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm not saying that you shouldn't leave an inheritance for your kids. In fact, Proverbs says even leave one for your grandkids. Let me tell you what a big problem in our country is. Kids who get a large amount of money from mom and dad never learn to work. I can name names of people I know that had wealthy, wealthy parents that gave them everything and they're on drugs today. They don't work. It's sad. But all of us need to, work, mean, to, need to know what it means to roll up your sleeves and go to work. Work hard for a living to pay your bills. And it doesn't come easy, but it brings you peace and joy that you're working hard. A man without a job is a man without self-esteem. Men that don't work, they're angry, they're drinking, they, they're just grouchy because they're not working. God made man to work six days. You say, I'm on a five-day work week. Is that okay? Oh, you got plenty to do at home when you cut the grass and clean the yard and all that. But my point is not about the law in six days. My point is men were created to work in the fields and to earn a living and take care of their families. And uh, we've gotten away. And you say, you're an old-fashioned preacher. I am. I still believe women are best, best, better than men, 10 to 1, in taking care of children. Thank God for women that have put time into, into their kids. I thank God for my mother. Now, today we don't have the families, size families that we used to have, but I'm one of seven. The middle one, you wouldn't know that because I was so well behaved. But my mother, my mother was awesome. I mean, every day she had those homemade cookies and uh, I would get into them quite often and disobey when I wasn't supposed to, but my mother was always there. Sometimes it annoyed me that she was always there because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. But my mother put her life into her kids. And you can see that her kids mattered by how much time she poured into them. There's things she did. I, she, oh, it used to anger me. She'd do this to my face. In church, in the lobby of church, she'd say, something on your cheek. Mom, don't put that spit on me, especially in front of everybody. And I didn't say it like that because my dad was standing there. But I said, Mom, please don't do that. But you know what? She was all about rearing children. Now she's with the Lord. And you know what we all say about my mother? What does Proverbs 31 say? Her children rise up and they brag on her. That's a paraphrase. We talk about our mom. And, and, and men are supposed to provide, not men and women. I, I think it's a blessing when your wife can work as long as the kids are taken care of, the kids go to school. I'm not against working women. Solomon's wife worked. But I'll tell you what, we've gotten away from men working hard to taking care of the family. We put the pressure on women or on the government because men are lazy. Lots of them are lazy. 
You know they are. I want to do what God wants me to do. And I want to be a hard worker. While I'm only white collar, it's been 10 years of my life, I was a blue collar guy. And I enjoyed working hard. We brought nothing into the world. We can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let, let us therewith be, or therewith content. Be content. Contentment. Now we get up here to verse 9. I, I love so many verses in Scripture, and you know these verses. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You know that one. That's Mark 8, 36. I love Proverbs 38. Agur, who writes this, Proverbs means wise sayings. Agur, who writes Proverbs 38, says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. It's an interesting thing for someone to say to God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. He knew what riches do to people. What did riches do to Solomon? Think of all the people in the Bible. You know, I was thinking about this morning. If you ever noticed... All the great writers of Scripture who wrote the most books of the Bible and the most Scripture set some of the worst examples. <laughs> Solomon. Solomon and all the Scripture he wrote, he was a terrible example. We know that. 700 wives and 300 porcupines. He was a terrible example. David. I mean, David, all the Psalms of David. And look what he did. Moses killed, beat a guy to death with a club. He wrote five books. On and on and on we go. Paul, who murdered people and had Stephen murdered, wrote 14 inspired books. It's amazing. There's hope for all of us. Amen. Amen. But we get back to Proverbs 8, 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. It's okay to be poor. Matthew talks about those who are poor in spirit. And that, word mean, that means they cringe because they're nobody. Now, we're talking about poor financially, but I want you to understand this point. Those people who are poor in spirit, they cringe because they know they're nothing. Poor people sometimes cringe because they know they're nothing. Money doesn't determine what kind of person you are. We'll respect your persons if we treat rich people better than poor people. You know what determines how I interact with people? Their walk with God interests me. I don't care how much money they have in the bank. I don't care how much. I don't care if we ever have a real wealthy person come here. Sometimes people say, oh, this person gives $500 a week to the church. Isn't he great? Isn't he great? Not if it's not 10%. When we've got widows given 10% of a Social Security pension, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Not the rich guy. If 500 is nothing, that's like us giving a penny. Hollywood, oh, this Hollywood actor. Let me tell you something. I don't take any advice from actors or athletes, just so you know. Oh, this great actor, he gave a million dollars to this cause. Well, he made 80 million on the last movie. I think a million's... What, 1%? That's nothing. And oh, how great they are in our world. Let me tell you something. In God's eyes, they're nothing. Every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to confess. I'm way off the subject. I'm over in Hollywood. I'm supposed to stay in Rossville. 
and having food and raiment, be content. But look at verse 9, and this is what I want you to mark. But they that will to be rich, that word will is translated desire elsewhere. If you will, if your desire in life is to be rich, you fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Wow. If your will, if your desire is to be rich. Proverbs 15, 27. He that is greedy troubleth his, his own household. Proverbs 23, 4, labor not to be rich. If that's your goal, you have the wrong goals and you're going to fall into temptation. Think of all the people who chose the things of the world. Think of Lot. He chose the well-watered plains, the beautiful plains of Jordan ended up in Sodom. His wife chose to go back to Sodom. You think of Judas who chose 30 pieces of silver. What will you choose? Notice they fall into temptation. They're solicited into sin by Satan because of their money. I mean, when you're rich, you can just pay for anything. My brother Bob worked at a place, retired from this place, had a coworker who wasn't a believer. My brother Bob, they had a birthday party for him. And my dad was there. And my brother Bob, he said, invite anyone you want. So they had all these Christian people there and church people and my dad. And this guy he worked with who was throwing the party uh, had a big surprise for everybody. He brought a big, huge cake. And out of that cake jumped out a woman hardly dressed. And she's singing to Bob and trying to sit on his lap. And my brother Bob <laughs> felt about that high. Here's my dad. Here's everybody embarrassed and upset. Poor Bob, he didn't mean for that to happen. But the guy he worked with had money. So he thought it'd be great to hire some woman like that to liven up the party. And my brother Bob's a Sunday school teacher. So here he has this party. That's what money can do. We can afford anything. Wow, the guy with money, he can, he can pick up a prostitute. Pay her $300 to spend a weekend with him. It was one... Committed suicide in jail recently because he lived a life like that. Hey, riches don't do anything but hurt people. Unless those who are rich give to God's work, God can trust them and give more and more and more because they keep giving to God's house and God's work and God's missionaries and the poor and the needy. Praise God for those that give. But money ruins most people. They fall into temptation and a snare. I love these shows where people like uh, mountain men, you know, type shows. I always think, oh, I'd like to do that for about five minutes until I got cold and then I'd want to go home. And they set traps and those traps instantly kill the animal. And then they set traps sometimes for food and they'll set a snare and they get a rabbit in that snare. And there's this rabbit trying to get out of that snare. And sometimes they don't get there in time. The predators get the rabbit. But that rabbit got his leg in a snare. And that was the end for him. And so many people with money have gotten caught in a snare. And their lives have been ruined. Money has ruined more people in our world than has helped. That's the sad truth. And it says here, a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. The word lust means desires. Lust 
does not always have to do with sex, men lusting over a woman or vice versa. It means to desire something more than normal. Sometimes we desire something more than normal. Eddie, my son bought a uh, RX-7. They had the rotary engines. They didn't last long. And I put it up for sale to get rid of it. And the young boy came and he wanted that car. He said, I've always wanted an RX-7. And about a year later, he finally came back with the money. Nobody else wanted it. He'd always wanted one. And he drove away and I thought, boy, that poor kid. Those cars are junk. He wanted it. He wanted it. He wanted it. He got it. I don't know if it lasted or what. It's running good when we had it, but I thought, People want things sometimes that aren't any good for them. My son came home one time with a girlfriend. He first date, brought her by to meet us. My wife and I met her, and five seconds later we thought, that ain't going to happen. When he gets home tonight, we'll be waiting up. And he got home around 9 or 10 o'clock. We don't like her. Well, we're sure she's a nice person, but she's not what we think she ought to be spiritually. He said, I know, Dad, I'm not going out with her again. I thought, thank you, God, thank you. <laughs> we don't know what's bad and what's good. Some of you young people have desires right now for things, and they're the wrong things. And you need to listen to your parents and read your Bibles because you can be ensnared in a trap and ruin your life by wanting something that's not going to be good for you. And all the adults sitting here can say, amen, been there, done that. I've made some decisions sometimes and chosen things in my life that were not good for me. And I'm going to tell my children, don't do the same thing I did. And these people here says, are, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Talks about many foolish and hurtful lusts. The word foolish means, it's not the word moron, moron, like normally. It's a different word meaning lacking common sense. And then we get to the big, big phrase that people uh, have to mark their Bibles on this one. For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of it. Not money, but the love of it is the root, the root of all evil. Think about that. Think about that. Poor guy can't afford to do some of the terrible things the guy with money does. He can't afford all those sinful things. Doesn't have the money for it. The love of money is the root of all evil. And this word evil includes the idea of criminal activity. It also incorporates the idea of the word porneo we looked at earlier. And it means they're seduced from the faith. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So how many of you want to be rich now? Hey, if God gives you money, give back to God. Use it wisely. I'm thankful for what I have. God's taken care of me. I have more than a lot of people. And some of you have more than a lot of people. And some of you may have a lot. I don't know. But be content with what you have. Don't desire to be rich. Desire to please God in everything you do. And you know what's going to happen. You're going to have a life of joy and peace. And you're going to have a wonderful life because the Lord is wonderful. He's counselor. He's prince of peace. He's the mighty God. He's my savior.
And if you don't know him today, he died on the cross, Jesus did for you, to pay for your sins. And if you've never prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you could come this morning. We'll have men down here who will take the Bible and show you how to be a Christian, how to trust Jesus Christ, because he's the Savior of the world. God, thank you for your word on money. And Lord, for everything you've done to provide for all of us, everyone here has been taken care of. We're here today. We had transportation. We had food this morning. We have a house to sleep in. Help us to be content. And not to desire a life of riches. And not to do scheming, unhealthy things to get money, but to trust you. To trust you. And that's so hard. But to trust you. But it begins with trusting you in salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man. Bless now in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Amen.